Thanks for joining us for Faith Meets Mental Health with our host, Kim Boswell, the Alabama Commissioner of Mental Health. If you have any questions for our host, you can always email mentalhealth at fraser.church. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Faith Meets Mental Health podcast. I'm Kim Boswell, Commissioner of the Alabama Department of Mental Health. And today my guest is Dallas Rabig. I have known Dallas for probably around four years and have always been just so impressed with her passion and commitment to the children of this state. And so I'm so happy for her to be here today. And I'm going to let Dallas tell you a little bit more about herself. Well, I'm glad to be here, Commissioner Boswell. Yes, we've known each other for about four years, I guess. Um, So I am the state coordinator for infant and early childhood mental health here in Alabama. Um, I have been doing that for right at four years, I think. Um, I got started in infant and early childhood mental health about... 10 or 12 years ago, straight out of grad school as a counselor, um, I went to Colorado to learn all I could (laughs) about infant and early childhood mental health with the intention of coming back to Alabama and just really bringing it back here. And I I didn't know that uh, two years, almost three years into it in Colorado that I would be called back to Alabama. Uh, for the project launch, Alabama project launch grant. And, you know, things just happened so quickly. The momentum here around infant and early childhood mental health was just moving so fast that I moved from the position that I came to do with the grant to state coordinator. And that's kind of how I got here. And yeah. And the great thing is uh, the Department of Mental Health gets to share Dallas with the Department (laughs) of Early Childhood Education, which I'm sure is always interesting for Dallas. Uh, it is something that we you don't often see in state government. Our commitment to collaboration with the Department of Early Childhood uh, really led us to sort of split the position in half and split the funding because we felt so strongly that the collaboration Uh, was really important. And so uh, we really thought it would be a great opportunity to start out really talking about kids, infant and early childhood, because we know that 30% of mental health needs identified in middle and high school actually started before age four. And so with that information and the hope that we can really prevent some of the mental health issues that occur later on in life, Uh, Really, Dallas, today just wanted to talk a little bit about um, we have a lot of families in our faith community who are either fostering children or considering adoption. I saw in the bulletin this Sunday here that uh, there's another training session for families who are interested in uh, foster care. And so really would just like to hear what you would have to say uh, to those families to kind of what they need to know as they approach that decision, what can they expect, uh, and just really how to help support them? That's a great question. I often hear from families, from foster families or adoptive families, that they all the training that they received 
did not prepare them for some of the things or the challenges that they were dealing with. And so I I think it's really important for foster families to understand that the children that they're getting um, have experienced some type of extreme loss. And that leaves a big mark. It leaves a big mark in the brain. It leaves a big mark in the body. And no matter what that trauma or that loss was, and that those children have often not had the opportunity to heal or to begin healing or to receive any kind of support. A lot of them haven't received any. Some maybe they have. But then you you get through the honeymoon period and then these challenging behaviors start popping up and it can be really scary. So I think my advice would be if this is what you want to do and you you feel very strongly about being a foster parent or an adoptive parent to seek out support, mental health support for yourselves first. Make sure that you don't have any unresolved griefs and losses or trauma lurking in the background. It will make it, I don't want to say easier, but it will give you the perspective. Um, it'll change your perspective when you experience those challenging behaviors from a child who has unresolved grief, loss, or trauma. And I know we've talked a lot about it, um, and we know that so much more than we used to know just from the brain science about how trauma impacts the brain um, and then how you can actually help rewire the brain so that um, kids are really able, in essence, to recover from some of that grief. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the brain science? I know you actually have like a whole presentation. Oh my on goodness! That. So like this is <laughs> like one of my favorite, favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> so the we we call it plasticity, and the brain is very plastic. And of course, the younger you are, the more plastic it is. But what people don't understand is that we can generate the human brain can generate new neurons for your entire life, during the entire lifespan. When I was uh, young, or I guess an adolescent young adult, you always heard this saying, the smartest you'll ever be is when you were in kindergarten or whatever, something like that, because the brain stops growing, you know, uh, at five years old, but that's not true. We now know that each phase of life, the brain is undergoing some type of reconstruction or uh, some type of period where old unused or damaged neurons are being broken down and thrown away and leaving room for new ones to grow and become strong. And so understanding that we can better understand um, how new pathways can be created, and those are created based on our experiences. So the more positive experiences we have, the stronger those neurons become, and the weaker the other ones, the damaged ones become. And we want those to become weaker. We want them to die off. We want them to go away, you know. Right. We want to grow healthy brains. Right. And I know um, I was speaking with the service coordinators, uh, school-based mental health service coordinators last week, and 
uh, one of the resilient sort of protective factors that we talked a lot about is just having someone even in your school environment that you feel really close to or feel supported by. I know my own personal experience, you know, school is my happy place <laughs> and I would love learning and I love being in school. And so a lot of the things that were happening at home, I really were offset by some really, really positive experiences in the school. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, my fifth grade teacher, I paid all of her bills. Uh, she would hand me her paycheck, her checkbook every month and say and hand me her bills and I paid her bills and uh, so to be in the fifth grade and have an adult who showed that kind of confidence in Mm -hmm. you was just so um, helpful for me particularly with you know not being in the best environment at home and so uh, just kind of your thoughts about you know other people in a child's life maybe that really can make that difference or um, whether it's grandparents or school folks or coaches, we know that sports really can be, uh, you know, really helpful in uh, engaging folks who are experiencing trauma, you know, being engaged with others and feeling supported and feeling a part of a team, feeling a part of a community, Mm -hmm. uh, just how those things can actually help offset some of that trauma that kids may have gone through early on. Yeah, and I often, when when I'm doing workshops for teachers, I often remind teachers that when we're talking about protective factors and risk factors, that you may be the only protective factor that child ever sees or sees in that year when they're in your classroom. And so it's really important that it's a big undertaking, though. You know, that's a mm-hmm. heavy burden for a teacher to carry but it is very important and it's important work um for for teachers and i just had a (laughs) train just left the station train left the station (laughs) i was going oh okay so y'all be able to edit that out right? right okay um so when when i do those workshops and remind teachers that they could be the only protective factor in that child's life at that time. We do a little exercise and it's called uh, the important object. And I have them to close their eyes and think of a very important object, something very important to them um, that they would die for. For some people, it's their phone. (laughs) For some people, it's a kid. For some, it's a pet or a spouse. And then I have them get up and walk across the room to somebody they know and go through the motion of handing over their important object to this person, go back to their seat and tell them, okay, now that person, that other person that you don't know is going to hold that very important object for you for the rest of the day, for the rest of the conference, and you can get it back in three days. What is that like for you? Now, imagine what it's like for a parent or even a foster parent to drop off this very important thing to you and entrust you to care for this object as much as they do. That's what it means to be a protective factor for that child. Yeah. Um, 
It's a huge responsibility for teachers, but, you know, I feel like there's so many teachers out there who really are committed to to doing that and being that for kids. Um, And often it is that teacher or that coach or uh, sometimes it's the lunchroom lady. I've had stories People have told me stories about, you know, it was the lunchroom lady that asked me every day mm-hmm. how I was doing. That or the really, custodian. Or the custodian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so having those important adults really that uh, engage with that uh, child and really are available and there for them, somebody that feels safe to them mm-hmm. is so absolutely um, important that. Um, I just don't think we can overestimate um, how important that is. And I think as a church, I know, and as a faith community, that's where I really feel like there's some advantages for kids who are engaged in a, in a faith community mm-hmm. because um, the church and the faith community can be that safe place, yes. hopefully, for mm-hmm. kids as well. And then, of course, you and I both uh, have a love of music. We both like to (laughs) sing. We're going to spare y'all that. Uh, But um, we also know that music is a huge, uh, has a huge impact in rewiring the brain Mm -hmm. as well. So um, music and movement. Mm -hmm. Drumming. I think that's one of um, playing the drums. Any kind of bilateral stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's where really the church environment can really be um, a huge support. Uh, you know, I, I talked about it uh, when I spoke at the summit. Uh, there's a group of ladies here, some of all of them, I think, actually former teachers that uh, organized the children's choir. And I joke with them. I'm like, you have no idea how many little brains you've mm-hmm. rewired over the last <laughs> 20 years just by having them engaged in those events and having them singing, uh, having them, you know, perform and, and be a part of a group is just such um, such a joy to see mm-hmm. a lot of that going on. And I really do think that's where uh, the faith community can really mm-hmm. pl- play a big role in that. And that's often the question in the faith community. It's like people get a little scared of the word mental health sometimes because it conjures up you know, some other things, but I think really kind of the message we want people to hear today is being available, being a good support system, being that safe person a kid can talk to, whether you're the Sunday school teacher or the choir director Mm -hmm. um, or the teacher in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is just such an important uh, role for us to have because really connectedness is really what we're all looking for. Yes, it is. it's just an amazing opportunity within that environment to be able to do that. So thank you, Dallas. I appreciate that. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, if you have any questions that you would like to be discussed on an upcoming episode, you can always email mentalhealth@fraser.church. Also, you can view video of our episodes on fraser.church slash videos or on youtube.com slash Fraser Church. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah.